hackers are better at A-B testing than developers. And welcome to Offscript by Hey Radio. My name is Josh Nesbitt and I am your host. Today on the podcast, we have Leanne Potter, a cyber anthropologist based in the UK. I first met Leanne a few years ago when we ran a She Does Digital event together around getting into digital. On the podcast today, we discuss why the cybersecurity industry needs to hire more anthropologists. So enjoy. So, Leanne, welcome. Hiya. Uh, Thanks um, for having so, me. You're very welcome. I mean, it's, I'm really happy to, to have you um, have you on board. We we met at the first time, uh, I think, a few years ago at Ashida's Digital versus Hay event. Um, mm. I think, actually, we were talking about roots into digital, and it was about you uh, your background in anthropology into cybersecurity at the time, wasn't it? I was flogging this horse here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so we've talked quite a bit on the topic already um, in the past, but obviously we've got some new things to discuss this evening uh, and we're focusing particularly on the kind of human element of, of security and some of the interesting things around that. Um, but before we, we do that, do you want to talk a bit about yourself and, and kind of your, your background? Yeah, so I, I'm, um, I'm relatively new to tech. I started in uh, 2018. Um, I got into tech when I was, it was after I actually did my anthropology degree and it was sort of led by that. I was a project manager for a charity and we were dealing with institution. And what I was noticing, people coming through to our service and one of the main barriers to them getting out of destitution was their inability to access digital services online. So I became really fascinated with what's known as the digital side, which sort of suggests if you don't have access to online services, uh, you know, access to say things like that, housing and a benefit system that's online you'll be socially disadvantaged and boy as covid as covid covid really shown that at the moment that actually really is the case and still going on today yeah so i thought oh well, i'm really interested in actually how do i do tech for good so i picked up uh, anthropology and started focusing on digital anthropology because i was really interested in how the technological world could really impact society and culture and how it was changing and just fell head over heels in love with digital. Um, decided the best way to get into tech was to teach myself how to code. That was literally the linear thought of, if I'm going to get into tech, I'll teach myself how to code. So that's what I did. <laughs> uh, so I started my tech journey as a software developer. And as soon as I was in there, though, I was putting my hand up saying, I want to do more security stuff. Yeah. Um, and luckily, nobody seems to really enjoy doing the security work. Uh, as a developer, um, putting my hands forward saying I want to do security things, people pretty much bit my hand off and said, yes, you can do security work and, and fell head over heels in love with security. And that's where I am at now. So using my anthropology uh, masters to really inform the decisions I make in terms of raising awareness around security um, and also the cultural aspects of actually getting everyone in board, on board with, with security. Amazing. So we'll get on to kind of security a little bit um, shortly, because that's obviously the topic of this evening. But um, <laughs> before Covey, you worked at the NHS, didn't you? And uh, I, th I think the, the thing you mentioned in terms of that, that digital anthropology is quite an interesting um, topic. The work you did with the NHS was quite relevant for that, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, one of the main things we were seeing, obviously, I started um, after WannaCry. Now, WannaCry, obviously, was in the news you know you, you all saw the news stories of uh swaves and swaves of hospitals being taken out by yeah. uh, ransomware um so i wasn't on the sort of front line when that happened but you know we were still feeling the the knock-on effect of that and it was still very much on people's fingertips mm. and what i started doing was i was going to sort of meet clinicians as part of a leadership course which got us in front of lots of different people you know as a techie don't really get access uh, at the NHS to doctors and nurses and things like that but this leadership course really gave me that opportunity as I was just talking to them about them what I did everyone else was pretty much sort of frontline working and I was back office stuff mm. and they were like oh cyber security that's that's interesting oh you're the people as well though that you know make us have these long passwords and you know <laughs> stop us from gluing our smart cards to the computer and things like that I was like 
we are, but let me explain why. And then I start, I start telling stories in a different way. So rather than just going, oh, yeah, well, we're just trying to stop ransomware, finger wagging, which, you know, security can often be, I decided to sort of tell the story in a different way. Um, so I was able to talk about a story that I had heard, and it was about a woman who'd gone in um, for a cesarean section. And so she went in, and it was, you know, cesareans are booked in. Mm. She didn't know that a, a, a ransomware attack was going to hit the hospital she was going to. Halfway through uh, the cesarean section, ransomware hits, the computer system's down. Mm. It's fine, they're doctors, they're surgeons, they don't need the computer to work. So they carry on the cesarean section. She has a, a lovely baby girl. And then she starts getting a few complications from the operation and her temperature goes up. And they go, okay, we need to give you some antibiotics, bring that temperature down. You know, kind of, kind of common things, you know, that, that can happen after mm. surgery. Except what happened was because computers were down, they had to do it over the telephone. Unfortunately, there was a miscommunication and she was given the wrong dose and her temperature kept going up and up. Nobody could figure out why. And then it went to such an extreme that she actually ended up losing her hearing. Right. And that was the knock-on effects of WannaCry. So when doctors and nurses were sort of saying, oh, well, you know, so immediately when they think of ransomware, they think of financial implications. Yeah. And they go, well, we're a hospital. There's no real financial implications. You know, with the NHS, it's free. But the implications was you didn't have access to her medical records. You didn't have access to see what she'd just been given. Yeah. We couldn't track that kind of thing. And now she's lost her hearing because of it. Mm. And we actually had uh, last year our first um, recorded death, not in the UK, but in Germany, of um, a woman dying on the way to hospital due to a ransomware attack. Yeah. So there are real human consequences to this happening. It's yeah. not just financial gain you know that that's that's often the end goal or stealing intellectual property and the knock on the the fallout from those events happening can be massive yeah absolutely massive and, and that's the thing you know the, the target in that case wasn't wasn't a financial one was it so it, it's, it's interesting to to see the different attack vectors and the different potential targets nhs mm -hmm. is obviously um you know one that is definitely less financially driven maybe and and it's it's interesting to dig into the psychology of that, isn't it? Really, um, mm. but before we, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, and the knock-on effect of that, though, telling the story that way and saying actually this happened to this person because you you play on that doctor's need, you know, yeah. they take the Hippocratical oath, I'm going to, you know, preserve life as, as best I can, you know, do no harm. You put that into context. Actually, that's why we ask you to have good passwords. That's why we tell you not to click on those links and things like that. And then at the end of it, they turn around and goes, I realise now, I actually get it. Yeah. And then that's when I sort of realised, you need to tell the story right. You, yeah. need to, you need to tell it in a way that makes sense to people, not just this is the cause and effect, really, but actually how does that relate to your everyday life? And that's so where anthropology comes. Well, I was going to say it's interesting because the, the perception of security as an industry, and I'm going to I'm going to, going to I'm going to say it. I think it's an industry of gatekeepers. Is the perception from the outside, uh, and and the problem is that, that no matter how good you are at gatekeeping, there's those human factors that are always going to be the weakest part of the of, of the of the process, isn't it? Really. So, ha having that knowledge of what the industry was perceived as, why, why go into it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> Yeah, the, the security industry has a PR problem for sure. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons, and I know this is kind of crazy, one of the reasons I like it is because I think we've got a really good story to tell. Yeah. I mean, the stories we could pull out of the bag to influence people. I mean, that one story is harrowing. You know, that, that person went into one of the most life-changing things ever, yeah. you know, giving birth to their first kid came out deaf you wouldn't expect that no it's not a great story like in terms of no. the, the human peril but actually to put in case point to influence behavior that's a pretty good story to use you know mm. um and there's there's many of that you know it's 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 very much the sort of hero and villain you know nations tumbling and falling that storytelling is actually really interesting to me mm. and how that all connects to the human element and one thing i think we tend to lose sight of is when we think of a hacker we don't think of them as a person mm. you know we, we turn them into this boogeyman mentality 
and that sort of creates that sort of disconnect and then I think that's where that leads to when you're trying to influence you know better security behaviors people don't see it as actually there's a person behind all this doing this mm. with their own motivations yeah they don't relate to it on that level they, they see the hacker as part of the tech mm. you know because it's just this screen but actually there's always a person driving it and, and most of the you know most of the strongest ways people get in you know the most famous cases of you know breaches and, and hacks it's, it's by someone a person clicking a link it's by someone letting someone in to the place they shouldn't be going into yeah it's it's particularly interesting as well in in kind of covid times as we're calling it because the security fatigue is there along with you know other online fatigue general fatigue of the situation and all it takes is for your guard to be down slightly and, and for that to be taken advantage of so you know th there are going to be human situations that will still allow you to be uh, you know to be breached if you will but um, I think it's about mitigating those options, isn't it? And, you know, there's loads of resources available to try and, um, you know, Troy Hunt runs a really um, famous site around um, password breaches and things like that. Mm -hmm. And there's lo if, if you're in the know, there's loads of resources available to you. But generally, it's it's probably not the likes of us that are, are, are as susceptible, possibly. I don't want to say that, touch wood, but it's more it's more some of the human factors um, that, that kind of are the main problem. Yeah, very much so. And you say, you know, not us, hopefully. I mean, one of the things I do to really, again, reiterate the sort of storytelling aspect is it, um, for inductions. Uh, I don't do an induction where I go, this is a company policy. This yeah. is what we don't want you to do as a company. My company induction for security is called All the Times I've Ever Been Hacked. <laughs> and it's, it's a storytelling process about, you know, when I was at university and, and someone uh, sent emails to my whole inbox, you know, hey, do you want to look at my pictures? <laughs> like that. And sent them to everyone. I was mortified. Yeah. This was like, you know, uh, you know mid-2000s. I was really, really mortified. Uh, and then that was because uh, I used the same password absolutely everywhere. I never, I never say, like, what remediation process is. You know, it's obvious. I don't need to tell you what the remediation yeah. process is. I was an idiot. I knew the same password every when I was at university, everywhere, and I had to change it everywhere. It took eight hours. Then I'll talk about um, the time when I was working at the charity, and we kept press pressing refresh on the patching, you know, that, that annoying button that says, remind me later. <laughs> we kept pressing that because the whole team did that for, like, a week. We eventually got hit by ransomware, and we lost everything. We did not recover it. We were a charity. We didn't have the mm -hmm. IT tech in-house. In we lost everything, as well as time and effort. Again, yeah. I don't say what the remediation is. I just say this is what happened and these were the consequences. So yeah, I think it's definitely just telling it a different way. And actually, and I think particularly for someone who works in security, saying actually even happens to me. Because yeah. there is that there is that kind of blame culture, isn't there? And that's mm -hmm. that's that's a really dangerous place to be. I think. Um, obviously, we're all susceptible to hacking. Um, the, the the human angle is the weakest angle, really, isn't it? No matter how good our password management is, no matter how good mm -hmm. our security is in general, um, we are the weakest link. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. So that that kind of blame culture. How do we? Because in, in larger organisations, you know. I'm, I'm trying not to direct this at kind of any particular group, but it's in large organizations, people want to be seen to do, to do their job uh, and, and, you know, it just want to make sure that we try and implement the security precautions as best as possible. How do we in larger spaces move away from blame culture and, and move kind of more organically towards that education angle? Well, we need to acknowledge that there'll be a level of cognitive distance there. And by what I mean by that is people want to be seen as doing the right thing. Hmm. If, I, if I go up to you today and say, can you make your password longer because it's good? You, you want to do that. You know you know that. You know deep down that that's the right thing to do. Whether or not you do it, that's hmm. another thing. And there's this whole thing about, actually, I want to I want to do good, but I don't want you to know that I also don't do good. You know, <laughs> that I also, you know, I know what's right for me. I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Don't find me out. And that can lead to people putting their head in the sand and thinking, you know, if I, if I just don't acknowledge it, then the risk isn't there. But yeah. that's not the case. But in terms of how you get over that in an organization, it's all about trust. Mm. And 
as as humans, we really like to feel empowered. I mean, let's let's put you know a COVID case in point. Think about how hard it has been to encourage people to wear masks, mm. to stay indoors. You know, it's it's a small minority, but encourage people to do the right thing for the, for other people. And uh, this on this occasion, it's mandated by the government, and there's fear of death as well. And it's still been really difficult to change that behaviour. Mm. And that's because we make constant mental shortcuts. Mm. And we're really we will always try and do whatever the least path of resistance is. Mm. Um, and obviously forms habit-making behavior as well. Yeah. So when you're talking about how do you influence a whole company to do it, you can't do it overnight. It's, it's, it's like asking a smoker, you know, who's been smoking for 20 years to just stop smoking. Yeah. Think about how long we've had passwords for. I mean, my very first password was for a... Uh, Casio Dear Diary. I don't know if anyone will remember this. <laughs> I know. How do you remember, mean, yeah. remember the adverts in the 90s? You know, a little, little flip up, little Dear Diary. That was um. my first password. So what? What was like, what, 12? Something like that. Like Kids Today have passwords yeah. as well, you know, like, you know, for the iPad and things like that. How long have we had passwords for? Mm. How long have we been having bad passwords for? A long mm. time. Because, you know, Especially like nowadays with kids and things like that, you start off small. You are not gonna, you're not gonna have a long, complicated password. That habit sticks. Mm. So, the security has a big problem with the human element because the, the habits are really, really tough to break, and it's gonna take lots of little nudges. Um, so, nudge theory really plays into that. Um, but also finding really good influencers. Um, and I mean that in like the literal sense as well, you know, like like you would an Instagram influencer. Mm. You need to get people on board who can really shift that minority thinking. Yeah. And empower a sort of culture of trust. Because when people feel trusted, then they'll come to you when something bad com- when something bad happens. Mm. And that also is the main part of security. Like things ha- will happen. Yeah. As an industry, we sit around going, yes. It will happen one day. We are just waiting for it to happen, really. You know, we're putting controls in place, steps in place. But, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. It'll happen to everyone. So what do we do about a culture that might be fostering a fear from reporting? Because of that cognitive dissonance. Mm. I know you've told me I need to have good passwords, but I've not been doing it. And now the system is down. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have that culture where you can turn around and go, it's it's okay as long as you tell me. Please just tell me that something has happened. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit like when you go to the doctor and they ask you how many units a week you're drinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, 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 you know what the right answer needs to be, but sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's easier to ignore it and kind of continue the way you are. And yeah, I think it's... it's yeah, as a security person, I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me the truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, there's, a, there's a question from Matt Shields. Um, oh, I, I, I'll hold my hand up because I, the way I said the sentence was loaded. But yeah, people sometimes have a bit of false confidence because they think themselves as tech savvy. And that's totally true. I did it just then without even thinking, you know, it'll be fine. You know, we're, we're, we're in the industry. It's going to be okay. <laughs> but, you know, anyone is susceptible to this. It's, you know, no one. Is, and that's the, that's the problem, isn't it, really? Yeah, and there's the, there's the whole sort of school of thought as well. Um, and I heard it on a podcast recently, actually. Um, and it was some a group of behavioural scientists. It's really good. If I, if I can remember what the name is. I'll I'll share it in the mm. in the chat maybe. Um, some behavioural scientists, and they were talking. Oh, I just I just feel like I don't do these. Don't need to do these uh, strong passwords because they're not targeting me. And that again is the the mis you know information is like oh, I'm small fry. Yeah, yeah. I'm small fry, you know, mm. but someone still tried to get into my Amazon account just before Christmas, and I realized where it was due to two-factor authentication. That's mm. my little tip for you. Um, <laughs> 2FA is a lifesaver, isn't it? Let's be honest. But but yeah, but like I, I work in security, and you know <laughs> things happen all the time, and I'm small fry, and yeah. So you just need to get rid of that sort of perception that it will never happen to me. Yeah, they're not bothered about the target size. No. It's probably strength in numbers as well, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, you it's know. definitely a numbers game. Yeah, I would say that um, 
hackers are better at A-B testing than developers. Well, I was about to mention that, actually. By the way, Leanne has given me the most comprehensive list of notes I think I've ever been presented uh, with before in these events. So it's made, it makes my life a lot easier because I know where we're going with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did, you did mention the A-B testing thing, and I think that's a really important thing to note um, because they're looking for these things. And I think in your example, you used phishing emails as, a, as an example, didn't you? Yeah, so... Do you remember, like, you know, early 2000s, how bad phishing emails were? Yeah. You know, it was the prince saying, you know, oh, I've just been left a load of money. Yeah. Um, I need to get out of the country. Will you help me? That kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, there's loads of spelling mistakes and things like that. That's intentional. You know, they're looking for the easiest mark. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I say mark as if, you know, um, you know, like a like a confidence tricks, like a con man would, would say, mm. you know picking the mark they they aim it at that sort of denominator because if you fall for it at that stage then you're likely to carry on falling for it yeah so people laugh and go does that ever work it does yeah. <laughs> they're really good at um changing their tact to meet the right audience mm. so that a b testing is really the case so it really is literally i'm they test the audience does this work has this worked what's the return on investment because yeah. it is a business at the end of the day and if you look at your spam today, you'll still see the same style. You'll still see a lot of the same errors, um, you know, in terms of maybe logos and buttons looking slightly off. You know, people who notice those minute details probably would fall, wouldn't fall for it. But it's mm. more about the the general kind of the people who slip through that gap, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, the, the, the triangle of securities, usability, functionality and security, um, the closer we move towards security, the more likely we have to compromise on functionality and usability. Yeah, so if you picture a triangle, and then you have usability, functionality, and security there. So your security is there. And the more you move towards something being more secure, you're going to have to compromise on either functionality or usability. And that just is the case. So this is the same, you know, you go the other way. You need to really... I think in this sort of environment where anthropology can really help is if we're able to empower the people with enough knowledge of how to stop um, falling, sort of like phishing for hacks, clicking on the wrong thing, just being a bit more diligent, mm. um, then we can sort of not completely disregard the security side. The security side is very important, but actually move towards more functionality and usability, which will then, I think, create more innovation yeah and the more innovative we can think about these problems i think the easier they will be to actually make them more secure in mind mm. but at the moment you, you know yourself when you, you're going onto a website you don't want to have to go through 15 control steps you know 15 ways to authenticate just to get to a site you just want to you just want to place your all yeah you know you need to make that sort of trade-off and I don't think we're very good as an industry of saying we're happy to make that trade-off just yet. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the first good examples of that I've seen recently is um, ShopPay. I don't know if you used it on, on mm -hmm. sites, but they seem to have really cracked it because obviously there's still weaknesses to the solution, but I like the fact that an email, it sends you a text or something, um, mm -hmm. and, that, and then you're in, uh, and it's remembered all of your data, um, and, and that's great. And that, that journey's baking that two factor in for, but you don't really realize it it's kind of like a frictionless thing yeah and so what i i want to try and do is really encourage so there's you know, so the, the developer happy path yeah i want to encourage the secure developer happy happy path you know like how do we start embedding those sort of principles in mind along the way and saying actually there must be an easier way to do this because too much security is not security at all, really. Yeah. Because people will find workarounds. Yeah. And one of the things, um, you know, I was sort of privy to a lot, like the NHS, was there's a lot of workarounds to get around systems. If mm. you put, you know, if you lock down a laptop, for example, yeah. people will find workarounds. And sometimes, actually, most times, they're worse. They're a yeah. lot worse than what you could even, what you're trying to prevent against. Yeah. So we need to really sort of think, what is the path of least resistance? Because that's what's putting people off security. Yeah. It's, is, it, is the, the challenges that, you know, it's too much effort, it's too much hassle. I don't know what you're trying to stop me from doing. 
Yeah. But it's stopping me from doing something I need to do. It's funny you mention that because Sabia's mentioned in the chat I, 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 that complete compromise in usability. I had to pay to I had to pay a visit to hospital today as my youngest sprained her ankle. Um, and sadly, I had witnessed this today. The password for the login was on a post-it note next to the monitor. <laughs> and and that, that's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so tough to encourage that behavior because and this is where the sort of cultural element of anthropology can really help is like understanding how do you change that thinking? Because, you know, everyone will, will see that password and think that that's okay to do. Yeah. And it's not because you know, they're, they're not educated or, or care about security. They really, they probably do care. They, if you told them that they could lose all their data in a minute because of that post-it note, yeah. they would care. Yeah. But they also have a job to do. And yeah. I feel like it's our job as security people to to be like the silent helpers. We shouldn't really, if we're doing our job well, you don't know that, I, I would say. So... Let's get into it then. Why do we need anthropologists in security then? So why specifically do you feel like that particular approach can help? I think at the moment, security really prefers control over the cure. Yeah. Again, bringing all these virus metaphors, it's uh, very topical. <laughs> yeah. And because of that, we we fail to consider the human factor. Mm. And you got to think, you know, so hackers at the moment, it's a, you know, they're predicting it being a, a 10.5 trillion dollar industry by 2025 yeah look at security vendors that are selling products and tools they're making what 167 billion or something this year it was a ridiculous amount it's obvious that we think as an industry that we can just buy our way in security yeah um and that you know and don't get me wrong the, the tools are fantastic they really help they're necessary it's not a just yeah. paying for something off the shelf to, to solve a problem is not the cure-all. The, the people element, like I always say, you know, you follow the cable. There's a person at the end of that. You need to really keep that in mind. And mm. anthropology can really do that. And I think as well, because it's it's such a cultural thing, the way of work. I'm, I'm talking about security now in the way of work, you know, so we all have lives outside and it's all very applicable. But if we think of, in particular, security in the way of work, it's, I always think it's really weird that if an animal did this, like a whole gr- bunch of ants all of a sudden logged into a computer at nine o'clock Monday to Friday, that would be a really weird thing to watch. Mm. It's a cultural thing. You know, we all log in at the same time, yep. you know, so we're all part of that shared goal, shared purpose. So we need to utilize the fact that we are a culture, a working culture, and utilize those principles in order to make things more secure for the benefit of everyone yeah so the idea is is that you know a bit like you know we did when you know early humans were all gathered around the campfire we told stories to each other to protect each other we told stories to inform we told stories to create um a religion to create you know spirituality around it we told stories to entertain when we're losing that sight of that actually that's one of the most powerful tools we can in education and and making people aware of the dangers out there. Mm. So anthropology really plays into that. It also takes into consideration, which I don't think we're very good at as an industry, into people's unique circumstances. So, you know, we all have different capabilities, expertise, life experiences, cultural norms. We face inequalities, disparities in our sort of knowledge gaps and things like that. That's not taught in a computer science degree. As far yeah. as I'm aware, it might, might be now, but <laughs> as far as I'm aware, it, it, it's not. And that's really important for understanding people's day-to-day life. So that's where something what anthropologists do quite a lot of, and it's called participant observation. And I have to admit, it's something I did uh, very soon on in my career at Kavea, so you've all been observed. <laughs> <laughs> um, what participant observation is, is it's a methodology in which you really free yourself to understand someone's journey. You learn as much as you can about what their day-to-day is like, what their environment like, what, what, what they're like when they engage with other people. Really get deep down into that knowledge and really understand what are the challenges this person's facing. What, what can this person, and then as you go speak to this other person, you can see how that connects 
and connects with other um, people in the organization. And then you build up this mental map of actually, these are some weak points. People all want to work together because like I say, working is a working culture. You know, we're all striving towards the same goal, but we're all segregated into different tribes, as it were. Mm. We need to figure out what our commonality is and so we can strive together because together we're stronger. Yeah. So participant observation is really good for that because it really allows you to get out your own head, your own biases. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bias-free, but your own, you, you try and, as much as possible, understand the other person's perspective and how they work. And then you can yield so much information and go, oh, there's a big gap there. I can solve that. I can fix that. Mm. You can't do that by just arbitrarily dictating controls, security controls to people without understanding what the consequences are. Mm. I I don't want to focus on the tooling because the anthropology side is obviously the main focus here. But you mentioned that the tools that we have at most of the organisations that we work at and um, focusing on that behavioural change instead of relying on the tools. But and as you said as well, when security is done well, you don't really notice it. it. It's it's kind of it's less about the tooling. But do you think there's certain tooling that we need to support this this view of anthropology being the key factor? Do you think there's some things that we can use to to assist it, or do you, would you recommend hardly any tooling and and literally just taking the cultural approach to about trying to make that awareness to security a lot more? Um, kind no, of I don't, no, I wouldn't recommend get rid of the tooling. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a blend of it's a blend of the two, because- I guess. Because the tooling should be there to do the boring stuff. Yeah, to catch the, I guess, to catch the common, like your spam filters and things like that, right? Yeah, because, you know, if you saw network traffic, there is no humanly possible way you could monitor that properly yeah. with, with just your plain eyes. No way. You need monitoring tools. Um, don't get me wrong, my my most uh, beloved time in security was uh, knee-deep in monitoring tools. Big fan. But what I'm saying is, is it can't be the be all and end all. Yeah. Because what you find by doing the human element, by doing the anthropological approach, is you actually see where the failing points are. You, a computer, you know, program can tell you actually, yeah, this port's open, close it. Yeah. But what's the context behind that? Why was that port open? Mm. You know, was it because this team needed it for this reason? Yeah. And did they? Or did they need it for that reason? Or did they just open it not knowing? You go find out, you know, you can be too knee deep in the tools without realizing actually there's a wider, bigger picture. And that might be due to, you know, not knowing that that's, that part shouldn't be open. Mm. Or it might just be they don't care that that part should be open and you just sort of sell them why it's important for it not to be open. I guess it's all about communication, isn't it? It's, it's about how you how you improve the communication in a large, a large mm-hmm. company. So. How do you do that? How do you how do you create that kind of community where it's a safe space to discuss those things, where awareness is is at an all time high? How how do you do that? You have to remember. So that's where participant um, observation really comes in. Is mm. the reason why it's good is because it's very individualistic. Mm. You're hearing one person's story at a time. You know, you're really understanding that. And because we are individualistic, so I go to I go again to the point about COVID. You know. Yep. The, in other countries where, you know, in, individuality is not as strong, you know, they have more of a sort of a, a communal sort of feeling. Mask wearing yeah, is fine, you know. The, the government says wear a mask, everyone wore a mask. In this country, for example, you know, where we are quite individualistic, that's a lot difficult, a lot more difficult. So you need to take that into account. Um, and again, it's all about sort of the biases, sort of cognitive biases where you think, I've spent a long time doing something a certain way. It's easier for me to carry on doing something in a certain way mm. than to try something new. And there's this whole thing about um, the endowment effect. And that's um, where even if a better solution is presented to you, yeah. you'll still go for the solution that you've created yourself rather than go for something that that's going to benefit you. And we found um, there's been research to show that passwords are exactly the same. So people still have that endowment effect. Like they know that their password is bad because they created it. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't really want to let go. It's still the kind of not, not invented here mentality around your, your own security, <laughs> well, isn't it? We as humans seek to copy past behaviors. Mm. It's, 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 you know, before in times, you know, when we were, you know, um, living together in like 
smaller communities and things, we needed to make those mental shortcuts because, you know, we had tigers coming after us and things like that. And yeah, <laughs> I was going to say dinosaurs. And I was like, that makes me look stupid. <laughs> I've been watching far too much uh, <laughs> like Jason and the Argonauts and things like that. Um, so yeah, we need to make sure that um, we need the shortcuts. We needed to be able to go, okay, we need to act this way because I haven't got time to think about it because something dangerous is coming over the hills. Mm. We still have those shortcuts in mind. So I like to think of it sometimes. Some people say that like we have like still have the lizard brain and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. the modern brain. That is a that is a hangover. Our habits and our behaviors um, and our shortcuts, our workarounds, our hangover from our sort of lizard brain when we were just like we need gratification, instant yeah. gratification. We can't see past actually the potential of the future. You know, um, so that means that breaking those habits are really, really difficult. Yeah. And the way you do that is you have to be aware that you have to catch people in the right mindset. You can't, with the endowment effect, you can't change habits just because you want them to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I could force a load of, um, you know, security awareness programs about passwords, for example, all in one go. And it could keep going and keep going. But if the if people aren't in the right mindset to change, you know, again, going back to smoking, for example, if people aren't ready to quit, mm. they're not going to change. And again, they acknowledge that some things, you know, you speak to a smoker, they don't want to smoke, you know, they, they want to quit. They know that there's health, uh, negative health benefits to, to smoking. Yeah. But it is very difficult to break those habits. And I think maybe that's why anthropology and a cultural effect to security hasn't gone ahead because in general it's really hard in security to prove a negative yeah um when we do when we do things like you know you hear a lot of discussions about oh it's really hard to get budget for security because people come up to you and say well what did you prevent yeah you can't prove a negative it's it's the same with um you know the the awareness training it's like if nothing happens, what are we preventing? It's very hard to yeah. get those metrics in. It's kind of like the effort versus future benefit thing, though, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of, it's hard, it's hard to really sell because you know sometimes it is quite a lot of effort to get to that end state. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Um, Jim Moran's mentioned um, think how people are easily manipulated to reveal enough information about themselves by a clairvoyant in minutes to think. Uh, they had their mind read, add in the stress of money losing scenarios and, uh, you know, call out the blue when you're stressed at work. It's easy to see how people are duped. It's so easy to misdirect and abuse trust. Um, and that, that kind of loops back into what I was saying earlier, that fatigue, that, that technical fatigue, that's, you know, security fatigue is very real, I think, especially as we're interacting more with technology at the moment. Yeah, very much so. And especially what they're really playing on is they are actually using trust against us now as well. So that there are the, as I say, the, the fishing ones that you see and you think, does anyone ever fall for those? There's those ones for a certain type of audience. But now there's the next level up, which is, you know, the the front of uh, apparent credibility, which, you know, I sometimes try and live by mm. as well. But um, <laughs> there's that thing where, you know, we're seeing a lot more whaling, which is really targeted uh Fishing, where you know someone will hack into the CEO's account and say, and then pretend to be the CEO and go to the finance department. Oh, I need this invoice paying ASAP. Transfer the money. And you hear about these scams all the time. Particularly yeah. house, you know, house buying. You hear them like almost weekly now. These horrible stories. Mm. People's life savings completely gone. And it's just about that actually using a trusted source against you. Yeah. No, no, no uh, technical control is going to prevent you from getting from that, you know, apart yeah. from the initial sort of stopping you. But once they're in, how do you how do you police against that? You do it through education. Yeah, it's a good um, there's a good story recently, actually, that I could I could recall on this. A, a friend of mine, we, we have it. We had a booking to go uh, on holiday somewhere, um, obviously due to COVID that's been pushed back and back and back. Um, and there was a breach in, in the booking.com system. Um, so they had some of the booking details that we'd used. So they knew who we were booking with and who he was and all that sort of stuff. Um, so they rang him, you know, I, I assume while he was quite busy at work and said, you know, oh, COVID, we're going to cancel the booking. You know, can we have the card to refund you? Mm. Um, fortunately, he, you know, something twigged that wasn't quite right and he he, he didn't hand over the information but that's it and exactly what jim's saying they they they, re, they rely on those exacerbated situations to really take control yeah in situations that are always go ego yeah 
Yeah, go for that lizard brain for sure. Always yeah. go where you go with that. Yeah, I was I was very impressed with him actually because he he used a Monzo uh, virtual card as a as a burner um, and it told him immediately when they're trying to take money. Nice. So, yeah, little things like that are, are great. Um, Matt's uh, got a good question, which is: Do people selling solutions need to be more honest about the gaps in their solutions so people don't think tooling will solve all of their problems? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, difficult um, marketing site though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This 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 will help, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a salesperson at all, so I, I, I totally get why. You know, you, you got to make some money. You got to spin it's it. Luc- it's got a lucrative business, um, and you know, the the role I'm doing at the moment, which is a lot of it, is about cultural change and engagement. Mm. You know. You still have to hire a person to do that, you know, mm. and it is something that you have to be on top of to keep doing. It's not something that, you know, an individual security person, like in a security team, it couldn't be just someone's, you know, a few hours a week job. Yeah. You know, you need someone constantly at it. So, you know, whereas these tools and things, you know, there's a cost that there is also a cost for the sort of things I'm doing as well. Mm. You know, you know, me talking around and about, you know, might be, might be free, you know, speaking to people, understanding their challenges, but you know, th- there's a salary at the end of that. So security will cost you either way is, is kind of what I'm saying. And in terms of actually being honest and open about, you know, what, what they can deliver, it's really hard to put metrics on anything security related. That's how I keep coming back to it, but that's, it really, really is, you know, how do you prove something that didn't happen? Yeah, it's really hard to to quantify that that culture as well. It's really hard to explain why it's not a single person's job, why it's a collective role that everyone owns in security. And yeah, it's it, as you said, you, you can't prove all the things that never happened that you prevented through that behaviour. You can only you know, you talk about the ones where yeah. they got through. And I think that's why there's a lot of burnout in, in the security industry as well. I mean, yeah. and this was before COVID, but burnout was a real big thing in the security industry before before COVID, and the reason why that is is because we're not really project based. Yeah, you know, we're constantly just on a loop, just mm. you know, on a, on the treadmill. There's there's no real way for us to go. Oh, that was a good good day. You know, we, we stopped this. Like, kind of. Yeah. You know, unless unless something's really coming over the wire, you can really see it. We're just kind of lying in wait, and it can be very stressful to be on that kind of high peak of stress constantly. Yeah. So, you know, big, big up respect to, to security people out there. Yeah, definitely. You almost want that kind of gratification of the dashboard, you know, attempt to stop today that no one knew about. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or cared. Well, that could be the other thing as well. Like. <laughs> Well, as you know, the, the role in security is, is often, you know, highlighted when, when these things go wrong. But actually, there's, there's so much that needs to be done to talk about the positive efforts that are done every day that mm-hmm. people never see. It's one of those roles, isn't it? It's a difficult one. Yeah, very much so. Um, there's a question from James. It's one thing to change company culture and educate staff, um, but it's an even bigger uphill struggle when it comes to the general public. Where do you begin? Do you begin with school? How do the public stay on top of these things? Yeah, we definitely need to begin with school. Um, As I say with the example uh, earlier regarding passwords. Mm. Uh, I just want to give a big shout out. Uh, I don't know if she's logging in, but uh, for Wendy Gosher, and she wrote a book called uh, Netty in Cyberland, which is a children's book about cybersecurity. Oh, amazing. Um, And she wrote a wonderful article um, where she said, cybersecurity should be the next sex education. So oh, taught like in school, yeah, yeah. yeah. She says, um, the, the way she described it, and I really loved it, was that we talk about cybersecurity to our kids like it's a scary thing, like you know, back in the day when you know. Yeah. I'm sure most parents nowadays are so super woke and cool and can talk about <laughs> sex to their kids all the time, but you know, when I was growing up in the the nineties, that that was the most embarrassing talk ever. Um, She's saying cybersecurity is a bit like that now. So we're trying to warn our kids about the dangers without scaring them so much that, you know, that they're terrified of going online and what might happen to them. Yeah. But also making sure they have the tools to protect themselves. So it's very much the sex education chat. I think it is really important. And I think, I believe it was her study as well. Um, so they asked um, some primary school kids, you know, would you share your password with your teacher and parents? And they were like, yeah, of course. So 
that's yeah. that kind of behavior early on and now the, the problem is is do we expect to teach children to keep that secret you know is that a big ask for for kids to well, they start using stronger passwords but if we did then you know we'd start developing really good habits early on yeah that whole education piece it, it does need to start sooner but finding the right voice in which to do it because security do does tend to work on a lot of fear and despair yeah and i hate using that kind of i, I try and inject humor wherever i can into into a story mm. um but it does seem to be our default and when you look at the the research of what really works well in terms of decimating a message humor always comes out on top yeah yeah it's, it's interesting as well because you know the human factor is obviously the the most important thing from what we're talking about today but there are th ways that technology can assist i think i mean i'm sure we've all seen you know parents where um, there's shared shared passwords on iPhones and iCloud accounts when you're watching content or whatever else and Netflix and other things like that so i think there's ways that technology can adapt to the way that the world works these days but the the human angle is obviously the most important part so We've got we've got eight minutes left, and I just want to talk a little bit or touch a little bit more on solutions. I'm very aware of drag race starting. I don't want to make you late for it. You see, <laughs> <laughs> um, so solutions really are a nice way to to end on on this talk. I think, and obviously we've talked a bit about security being a cultural adoption more than anything, and we've talked a bit about influences and stuff. Are there any influences that we should be following that you feel are worth you know worth noting? Is there anyone obviously obviously yourself? <laughs> Uh, there's loads of really great people out there. Um, what I would say, um, there's, there's two companies that I think are really doing some fantastic work, and I really recommend if you follow them on Twitter or, or LinkedIn. Um, so that's CyberOff with uh, Ian Murphy. Yeah, absolutely hilarious uh, awareness content. Um, not always safe for work, but um, okay, brilliant, no, absolutely, really, really good, really, really funny. Um, and Cyber uh, Maniacs. And that's uh, Kath Goldman uh, heads up that one, and she does cyber awareness with puppets, like the Muppets. It's it's nice. really funny, really love it. Um, in terms of any sort of people who are working in security at the moment or interested in the human element of it, um, I'd recommend uh, CyberSafe's um, security behavior database, okay. um, and that's spelled uh, C Y B Safe, uh, and they've got a really interesting sort of community building up all about sort of security behaviors and really digging into the the sort of behavioral science element of it so that's a really good one to keep your eye out for awesome thank you and one of the one of the kind of themes that you've mentioned quite a lot during this this talk is participant observation um have you got any tips on ways to do that in a in a non-weird way <laughs> because if, if you're getting if you're getting you know started with it it's probably quite difficult to understand kind of how you should go about it because it is you know you, you don't want you want to be quite a passive person in that situation don't you you don't want to influence the behavior of the participant yeah you need to put people at ease um yeah. but the best way to it's almost like a um a someone trying to hack into someone's account you just kind of need to know how to get people to open up and start talking to you um once you get them on that path and just say i usually start with tell me everything that's really annoying you at the moment and then just let them offload. People love to offload. Like therapy. Let's just go. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've heard it all. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I find that really useful to getting people to open up and just having someone just listen and going, oh, God, yeah, that, that does sound bad. That does sound bad. And then mm. just make loads of notes and go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's where the stories that you, you have around being hacked yourself and stuff can come into play because it's the it's the, the not the blame culture. It's the, you know, me too. I, I've experienced that that too and it, it sucks. And yeah, it, it's kind of yeah. a bit of social engineering as well, I guess. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, that's what it's about. I'm just uh, just having a, having a look on it. So we've got um, from Jim, I don't trust myself or my family. So I've made us all one password family subscriptions uh, users. Nice. Um, other, other vendors are available. Um, but yep. that's the that's only one weak point. So, you know, it's a, password managers, there's always a conversation around, yeah, but then all my passwords are in one place and what if that gets breached? Um, but, you know, it, there's, the, there's the common conversation around, is that better than just 5,000 different weak passwords? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You know, the, the idea behind a password manager is that your one password is really, really strong. So, you know, if you, if you Google um, brute force passwords um, and look on Google, Google, uh, can I say it? Google image, 
you'll see a, loads of pictures of really nice tables that'll tell you, you know, mm. if you've got this many characters and this many words and uppercase, lowercase, how long it'll take to hack. I think I saw um, you shout out today, actually. It was, yeah, all, yeah. all, the, common, yeah, all the common ones. Uh, so I was looking at, you know, my big password and I was just like, 10 trillion years is good. I'll take that, 10 trillion <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, that's good. I won't have to worry about that then. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you do it well enough, you know, and, um, you know, the uh, NCC, the National Security Centre's um, guidance at the moment is, you know, free rock one, uh, free, I speak, I've lost the ability to speak because I'm thinking about drag race. <laughs> free random words, you know, that's a really good starting point. Yeah. To building up a strong password it's something you can remember um it has to be random not your dog's name and not where you met your partner and free random words yeah um that's the really good start of like building up a really strong password it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because simon who must have seen your post today uh, and he's been influenced by it i'm a big fan of correct battery horse staple type passwords so that, <laughs> that combination of words I think they work really well with children as they're easy to visualize. And that's, that's, yeah. a, good, that's a great point. I wonder if that book that you, you mentioned um, goes into some of the psychology of some of that, uh, maybe a little bit. Mm. Um, and there's another one from Chris, um, which my, uh, my curse is nicely blocking it. Um, but it says, I know quite a few parents who have faced huge credit card bills after their kids bought lots of apps as their password was saved on the device. Um, uh, this is what I mean in terms of you know some of the ways that technology can assist this. It's not the solution, mm-hmm. but you know abuse from your own children almost. <laughs> there's got to be yeah. better ways around it. One of the things I would sort of suggest, and it's not I know it's not quite easy with an iPad um, and things like that, is um, wherever possible, you like for example on your laptop, try and have an admin account and then the account that you actually do everything on your day-to-day. Mm. So if anything goes wrong while you're surfing online or anything like that, it's stuck there and it's not going to hit everything else on you. Mm. You know, you can recover a lot easier from there. So, Yeah, I'd, I'm aware of the time. I want to talk more about mitigation strategies, but I feel like Drag Race is calling. So mm-hmm. may, maybe we'll have to call it here and we can maybe continue this conversation uh, another day because there's still loads. I'm only page two of your notes. That's how far we've got. Um but hey, this has been this has been awesome. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I think this has been a really good chat. I think we've covered some really important topics, and hopefully, it will make us think a little bit differently about how we approach security and you know our everyday lives. Um, I certainly, I certainly will do. Um, so yeah, um, thank you so much for Conveyor Digital for sponsoring the event. Obviously, we're very grateful um, for that, and and please do check out their the website and uh, their Twitter account. It's all um, on on the Hay site. Um, Leanne, thank you so much for your views on anthropology. It's been absolutely amazing to chat to you. Um, but it is seven fifty nine. I think you can just dash down and start Drag Race almost immediately. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been blessed. Cool. All right. Well, good night. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you all next time. Thanks very much. So that was my chat with Leanne Potter, a cyber anthropologist based in the UK. If you'd like to know more about Leanne, head to the Hay site for her biography and for more information about where to find more of her talks and where she writes online. So until next time, take care and goodbye. Goodbye.